ask yourself this. When you set up your bike, when you put your panniers on and your gear on, before you did it, did you look at your bike and say, okay, where am I going to put my water? How much water do I need to store? Where am I going to put my extra fuel? Where am I going to put my oil? Before you assembled everything on your bike. Or did you do what most people do? You equipped your bike all up. You stood back and looked at it thought, wow, that looks really cool. Now, where can I put my oil? Where do I store my water? And if I need extra fuel, where am I going to put that? Well, if you consider the weight and bulk of liquids, not to mention the challenge of the leak-proof containers and keeping those containers on the bike, fastened to the bike, so they're still there when you actually need them, maybe this should have been our first consideration when we started laying things out rather than our last. If you can imagine for a second, going for a ride in an area where you are going to be out for two days and you cannot get water, you're going to have to carry all your water for two days. Average temperatures, no extreme desert heat, nothing like that. Well, according to the Mayo Clinic, women will need around four and a half liters or 1.2 U.S. gallons for those two days. A man will require a little bit more, around six liters or just over 1.5 U.S. gallons for those two days. Weight-wise, that means you're carrying another 10 to 13 pounds or 4.4 to 6 kilograms of water alone. That's on top of everything else you have on your bike, all those other things that you thought you needed to take with you on the adventure. Keep in mind as well, this is drinking water. This is not cooking water and it's not washing water. I mean, you know, if you're into those things when you're riding your motorcycle, cooking and washing. So imagine now you've got an extra 13 pounds or six kilograms of water on your bike. What does it look like in bulk? Well, if you can think of a a large soda pop bottle, one of the big ones, they're around two liters. So you'll need three of those. Stack those onto your bike. Now, that's a lot of bulk and weight added to your bike. And it's going to make a difference on how your bike handles, what it feels like. I mean, there's so many considerations to take into there, not to mention the fact you probably spent some serious coin on some real high-tech, lightweight, hard parts just to reduce your overall weight by a few ounces or grams. And now that you have all that bulk and weight of water on your bike, you still probably need extra fuel and you probably need to take some oil with you. Now, fuel weighs a little less than water, but it still ranks right there with your list of consumables for weight, right up on the top of the list. So what do we do about all this weight and bulk of all these fluids we have to carry or may have to carry on our bike without making it feel like one of those overloaded scooters you've seen pictures of on Facebook, like, you know, 200 chickens on the back of a Honda C110. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. 
Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles, tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Green Chili Adventure Gear is also the exclusive USA distributor for Outback Motor Tech, a Canadian company that specializes in high-quality protection for motorcycles. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. Greenchiliadv.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lanfear. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tax. Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Rush. Jeremy Krinker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. This is Nathan Millward. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Searching the internet returns all kinds of products we can buy to store water, fuel, and oil on our bikes. It's surprising how many options there are out there. And what works for you may differ greatly from your buddy or another rider you meet along the way. But really, when you think about it, the most important lesson in all of this will be, ultimately, that you need to be sure you're carrying enough fuel, water, and oil to get where you want to go. And that it's stored safe and in a sensible manner on your motorcycle. Now, our society has evolved by taking what others have learned through trial and error, using that knowledge to move ahead. Progress. So when you consider liquid storage options for motorcycles, we turned to seasoned travelers to find out what they've used on long trips and hear the mistakes they've made so we can take those lessons and apply it to our own riding style, no matter how long we're going out for. When it comes to carrying liquids on motorcycles, we basically have three major problems. Liquids are generally heavy, bulky and difficult to store on the motorcycle small frame. But before we jump into which container to use and how large an auxiliary gas tank we can fit on our bike, we should probably first consult Chris Scott. Now, Chris Scott is the author of the Adventure Motorcycle Handbook, which many say is the starting point for adventure motorcycling. Chris was the one to coin the phrase that we use so much today, adventure motorcycling. And he did that way back in 1997, well ahead of the the wave of adventure motorcycling and all that came with it. And in a recent article that Chris wrote called Long Range Fuel for Adventure Motorcycling, he approached the subject by first discussing ideas for saving fuel, which could be a disappointment if you were expecting to dive right into replacement large capacity tanks for your bike, but it's dead on the money in my mind and something that could be easily overlooked, yet so important. If you haven't experimented with your riding technique and how it correlates directly to your fuel consumption, then you may be surprised to find out that a heavy throttle dramatically affects your mileage. I know my KLR fuel consumption could go from around 50 miles per gallon right on up to 70 plus miles per gallon just by adjusting my riding style and speed. In other words, how fast I twist the throttle. This gives you a mental tool for extending the total number of miles that you're going to get from, or kilometers that you're going to get from a tank of fuel. In essence, understanding that your riding style and speed can dramatically extend your overall range may just save you from pushing your bike down the road. So next time you run low on fuel and you use this technique to save yourself, well, you can thank Chris Scott for that. After you've mastered your riding techniques to maximize fuel consumption, your next method is to find a way to store more fuel for the trip. Now that could be replacing your stock fuel tank for an aftermarket larger one, or using a a bolt-on or strap-on purpose-built storage container, or maybe even some sort of temporary fuel container. 
Now, before we get too far into this, I want you to recognize the fact that different countries, states, provinces, wherever you are, have rules for fuel storage containers. And and even not all commercially available containers are necessarily officially approved for that use. And of course, using a temporary storage container, you know, something like a, a pop bottle or something, maybe and likely isn't allowed at all. Which I guess at the least case scenario, maybe a gas station attendant will refuse to let you fill it up because it's not approved. But I imagine there could be insurance problems as well if something goes wrong. So there's some considerations you're going to have to weigh into to make the decision of what's right for you. Now, to get some real-world travelers tried and tested recommendations for liquid storage, we're going to first talk with Sam Manicom. Sam is a world traveler, writer, author, presenter, all of motorcycle travel information. Sam lives and breathes moto travel. And he's a regular on this show, and he's also one of the co-hosts on our other show, ARR Raw. Sam, today we're looking to learn from your mistakes. Hopefully you have some great tips that you've learned through the School of Hard Knocks. Oh, absolutely, I do. Um, I've made lots of mistakes along the way and um, fallen off my bike a few times because I've got it wrong. So um, there are some tried and tested techniques. (laughs) Well, that's perfect because that's exactly what we want, right? We want ones that you've suffered learning that you can pass on to the listener (laughs) so they don't have to go through the same suffering. I'll give you the solution rather than the story that ended up with me on the deck, shall I? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I think both are good. It's nice to understand where it came from. But let's look at it from the different types. Why don't we start with oil because it's the simplest. Okay. A lot of it depends on what age your bike is and how much oil it's it's using, but also where you're actually going to be traveling and, and can you get uh, the sort of quality oil that your bike is going to need. Now, Libby, my bike, uh, an R80 GS um, from uh, 1992, she, she drinks oil like a lush now. Um, I've tried all sorts of techniques and, and things to get this sorted out, but I'm not getting there um, in a hurry. So I've always got to carry... Um, a couple of liters of oil with me when we're going on a longer trip where we're going to be off the beaten track. And funnily enough, even going across um, France, I have to carry that oil because I've, I'm still using mineral oil in the bike. It's what she seems to like. Um, and it's very difficult to get hold of mineral oil um, in the developed world now. So uh, with oil stock, I carry that in uh, tank panniers. So in other words, I've got a couple of army surplus uh, knapsacks which I've slung either side of my petrol tank with army webbing and um, I put uh, my litres of oil, one on either side, in those in part because that helps me balance out the weight of other stuff that I'm slinging off the back end of the bike. Okay, so um, the the other one that that can be rather voluminous and necessary for us all the time is water, and Mm -hmm. that tends to be a difficult one. What have you learned with storing water, carrying water? Well, carrying water is really, really important. 60% of our bodies are water, and if we don't keep that topped up when we're traveling, then we can line ourselves up for making big-time mistakes. If If we start dehydrating, then our brains stop firing on all cylinders. Now, with a steady activity in the warm but not baking temperatures, the average male needs around um, 6.5 pints of fluid a day and the average female about 4.7 pints. So that's actually quite a lot of fluid. And that's just on an average day not doing anything particularly active. Now, it is possible to keep ourselves stocked up to a certain extent with water from the food that we eat. A normal healthy diet, you can get about 
90% of the liquid you need from your foods. But of course, you can't rely on that. And when the climate's getting that much um, more powerful, then you obviously need to be paying a lot more attention to um, what you're doing with liquid. I was riding a while back in temperatures of around 50 degrees Celsius, so that's 124 degrees Fahrenheit, and I was drinking double that, um, the above quantity, so about 11 pints, and I was still so thirsty, my tongue was stuck to the top of my mouth. So I, I tripled that amount and was still thirsty. So I was drinking about 11 litres of liquid a day. Um, I mean, part of that is, of course, because when you're sitting on a motorcycle, you're out in it, aren't you? You've got very, very little protection from you and the hot, dry wind. And of course, your body's going to be sweating buckets to try and cool you down. Although, did you know that when the temperature gets to around body temperature or goes above what normal body temperature is, then you should actually cover your body up, not allow yourself to be venting because all the hot air is doing, it's wicking moisture away. It's not actually helping you to cool down. Hot air, when it's above the temperature of your body, actually makes you hotter and need more fluid. It's bizarre, isn't it? You don't think about that, yeah, do you? Yeah, that's counterintuitive. And, and most people would probably disagree with it and say, that's that's not the case. There's no way I would die if I wore my jacket in the hot weather. Because, of course, that's why a lot of people don't want to wear their, their protective clothing when it gets really hot out. Well, when people say that to me, I say, well, have a think about the Bedouin in the Sahara. You don't see these guys walking around in shorts and T-shirts. You see these guys um, fully covered up with robes down to the to the ground, full sleeve, their heads and faces pretty much completely covered up. And the reason for that is exactly as I've said. They're actually cooler by keeping properly covered up. And some of these guys actually even wear dark robes too, but they're still cooler by keeping covered up than when the temperatures get to be that great. People should read up on it if they're doubting what I'm saying. I think the thing is with insulation is that they, people automatically think you're putting on insulation to keep yourself warm inside. And they're forgetting that insulation is also used to keep things cool. Like if you think yep. of a cooler, that's what the insulation is there for, is to keep the, the cooler cold. So, yes. And that's what you're doing. That's what you're explaining right now with wearing um, your clothing after the temperature exceeds your body temperature. Yes, exactly right. But, you know, regardless of this... If you're in those sorts of temperatures, then you need to be carrying a lot of fluid. And you might be looking at carrying around three gallons of fluid, and that's an awful lot of weight. So your question about where to carry it is absolutely vital, isn't it? You would mentioned there that you tried doubling and then you tried tripling the amount of liquid you were intaking. Were you thirsty? Like, Were you sort of limiting yourself with what you were drinking, or were you no. pushing yourself to double it? I was making myself drink. Uh, when you start to feel thirsty, that's when you're already dehydrated and you're already causing yourself some problems. Um, you should be um, really making a point of drinking very, very regularly. A lot of people use camel packs. I don't particularly like them because I don't like the weight on my back, but I can completely see the logic of them. And the logic of them is when you've got one, you've got the tube going to your mouth, and so you're taking gentle sips as you're, as you're riding. And one of the, the things that's good about a camel pack is that when you're taking gentle, constant sips, you're not having to think about being hydrated. You're just automatically doing it. The other advantage of that is unlike stopping and taking on board lots of, of liquid, you're less inclined to want to, to stop for a pee all of the time because you're gently hydrating rather than force feeding yourself. Having said that, <laughs> I actually prefer to get off my bike and stop and look at the view and um, have a drink from a bottle. 
so I carry uh, water bottles. Well, but, one of the other advantages uh, I was going to say about the, the Camelback is the weight distribution. You've got dynamic weight rather than static weight on your bike, so mm-hmm. it's uh, it's up on you rather than being loaded down on the bike, and that makes a difference in the way the bike handles. It does, although um, you're raising the center of gravity um, sure. to a certain extent by carrying, let's say, a gallon of, of water on your back. That's a lot higher because part of the trick with carrying enough water when you're on a long distance journey is to keep the weight down as low as you can and preferably between the wheel axles or the wheel. Um, That really does affect um, your center of gravity and how you're going to handle your bike, whether you're riding off-road or ducking and diving, playing Space Invaders live within a a city uh, somewhere. Now, you said that, you know, I assume this is when you were riding in the States last time, you were um, you were up to 11 liters a day. So how are you storing 11 liters? Okay, well, I was carrying around five liters and I was then topping up whenever I needed and whether whenever I had the opportunity. I like tank bags, not only for my oil, but also for carrying water in. Again, it's a great place uh, to carry it because of the weight. You're um, within your wheels and um, you've got your weight down low. And again, it's balancing out what you're slinging on the back end of your bike. But um, you and I have talked before about uh, my pet's trick for keeping drinks cool when you're riding. And if you've got your water in the front of your canvas uh, uh, tank bags, uh, tank panniers, you can just put a little hole in the neck of the water bottles. And as you're riding, that tiny little hole will soak the canvas. And as you're riding, the um, moisture in the canvas evaporates. And as it evaporates, it cools your drink down. So weight and palatability works really nicely. It's much easier on a stinking hot day to, to drink a, a cool drink than it is to, to drink a baking, uh, you know, a toasty tea, tea temperature one. I do um, like that. It's, it's such a simple thing to do and it works so, so well. I learned that originally from Australians in the outback and uh, they were carrying their water bottles slung over their rhubars on the front of their vehicles and they were always wrapped in canvas and there were always little marks of moisture where they were losing their fluid from. Oh, and by the way, I don't have professional water bottles. I'm a bit of a cheapskate, but I'm a cheapskate working on the premise that if I don't buy expensive water bottles, then I've got more money that I can put in my fuel tank. I tend to treat myself every now and then to Coke, but I'll buy it in one of the smaller bottles. And then those become my water bottles as I go. So I'll have five or six of those in a bag sitting on the saddle behind me. Again, its weight's still relatively down low and it's still behind the wheel, uh, between the wheels. And um, if I'm using a tank bag, then I'll have a couple of those um, stuck in there. So it's three litres in that bag behind me, a couple of, um, a litre in my tank bag and a couple more litres in, in my tank panniers. So I can carry a fair amount. And one of the tricks with this is the bag behind you. Now, Al Jesse from Jesse Luggage taught me this. He gave me a little cooler bag and I can fit six of these Coke bottles in there, um, plus a, um, a Ziploc bag full of ice, which I can top up along the way. And that, again, keeps the drinks nice and cool. Quite often that bag's sitting in the shade behind me. So that helps. I like this. You know, this this is not what I would have thought of. You're using small water bottles. The ones I like to use is the two liter. I also use, as I mentioned, the, the dromedary bag on my back. Mm-hmm. But with the small bottles, the idea with that is one of the great things about it is you can move the weight distribution around. 
Oh, absolutely. That's exactly the point. Plus, of course, you know, if you puncture one somehow, well, hey, it hasn't cost you very much in the first place and you're not going to end up losing a large amount of fluid. When I was riding through the Sudan, I had a 10-litre water tank made out of stainless steel strapped to the side of my bike. And uh, I had 10 litres of fuel on the other side to, to balance out the weight. But um, riding through a, a really rocky stretch of road, I was bottoming out. And unbeknown to me, I'd put a dent in the underside of this stainless steel tank. And as I was riding, it was dribbling away. Mm. So the security of knowing that I'd still got this 10 litres of water, um, well, it, it was gone. By the time of the, I got to the end of the day when I really needed this, it wasn't there. Wow. What did you do? Um, I got very, very thirsty. I was carrying um, a water tank, you know, a water filter pump. And uh, this was actually the last time that I used it. It was baking hot. And the water that I had access to was from the village pond. Had to use it. Um, wasn't going to trust using water purifying tablets because I'd watched people, um, people, the kids play in the ponds, animals come down to drink and pee in it at the same time, and the ladies were washing clothes in it, and all of this sort of stuff. So you can imagine this pond water was a, was a, bit, a bit of a mess. And um, using this pump, um, it constantly kept on getting clogged up, and I reckon I was probably sweating pretty much close to what I was managing to <laughs> pump out in clean water. It was a very frustrating experience. From that time onwards, I always boiled my water. I'd arrive somewhere and uh, the first thing I'd do before I even put the tent up was to uh, put my billy can on. And uh, the first first offering would be um, a large mug of tea and then I'd start boiling water for carrying for the next day. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things I want to talk about was using filters, but also finding water to top up with. So let's start with the finding water before we leave the water topic. How do you find water to top up your water bottles as you go? Like what sort of places are you looking in? Uh, Shops, restaurants, um, petrol stations, streams, rivers. There's quite often water around. I mean, obviously, if you're in the desert, then that's a completely different ballgame. And there you've really got to make sure that you've set out with enough um, fluid. If I'm riding deserts, then I'm going to drink two or three litres of water on purpose before I even leave so that I'm well stocked up within my body. And then the, the water that I'm carrying will keep me going until I can fill up again. Yeah, I mean, I think riding desert is something, you know, sort of separate. I, I hope the person would go through and research it well ahead of time and, and figure out how they're going to handle that. But for most of the time, you, at least you're saying you're passing restaurants and gas stations. So what do you do? Do you just drop in and say, hey, do you mind if I fill up my water? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it sounds so simple, but I mean, because we're finding that, you know, traveling around the last couple of years, Elizabeth and I, finding places to fill up has sort of become, you know, something that we've had to work out. We've had to figure out, oh, okay, well, we've sort of realized that, yeah, I mean, just exactly what you're saying. If you just pop in and ask, it's surprising how many people would just say, yeah, come on in, no problem, fill it up. Yep, yep. Do you know, one of the, the, the things about doing any form of long distance traveling is that people need to lose a few inhibitions. Um, and one of the key inhibitions is fear of other people. Um, most other people, I know you and I have talked about this, but most people are brilliant. And if you just go and say, this is the situation, please, so long as you're not begging, you're just making a conversation and, hey, how more reasonable a request can you get than actually I could do with topping up my water tanks? People say, yeah, sure, come on. Oh, no, don't take that tap. That one doesn't taste very nice. Can you use this one? 
or do you want some ice at the same time or just you know all of that sort of stuff and hey starts a conversation so I quite enjoy the conversations I get into on my water hunts. And one of the things that we found was traveling in North America, at least anyway, there's a lot of places that do RV uh, dumping. So they allow the RVs to go in and dump their sewage tanks. Well, they also have fresh water there. You can fill up your water tanks with no problem at all. You just pull in and go ahead. And another resource we found was stopping at the info centers and just asking. And they'll, you know, they tend to send you off, oh, go down here and there's a water fill up place there. That was a huge resource for us that we sort of fell on. Yes. Ironically, because that's what they're there for. So any other tips for carrying water? Well, there are all sorts of professionally made water containers around. There's Rotopax and MSR and SW Motec and Twisted Throttle and Acherbis. And lots and lots of people do these. And, you know, these are are properly made bolt-on water tanks. I've never used one, but I've seen them around and I've seen them on people's bikes and you can normally mount those in quite a logical place. The thing that concerns me a lot when I see these is that people mount them on the backs of their panniers and that means that the weight of the water is behind the back wheel and that's not a good idea. They need to actually put it on the front of um, their panniers if they're going to mount it in in that sort of area. Again, it's that centre of gravity thing. If people don't want to use the Coke bottle idea, then um, one litre aluminium bottles are around all over the place. And I like the one litre ones because, again, if you've you've got a leak, you're only going to knacker one bottle and you've still got others that you can use. And of course, they're they're easy to, to fill. One of the things is preferably use a light-coloured container if you can because, of course, that helps keep your liquid cooler. Unless you're travelling in cold countries, then, of course, you want to have something nice and dark because presumably you're going to make a cup of tea or coffee and um, if your water's been heating behind you as you've been travelling, then um, you're happy with that. Um, One of the things that I find works really well is a stainless steel bottle. They they tend Mm -hmm. to keep the water colder. It feels that way. I have a couple of friends who have designed um, special water carriers for um, long distance traveling and they have converted both their panniers so that the bottoms of both of their panniers are actually um, hollow water containers. So again, it keeps the weight down low. It's over the back axle. And um, when they're doing a long distance journey, well, they've got these full of water. When they're going to a rally, then they fill them with wine. (laughs) Now, you'd mentioned briefly there about using the filter that one time, and I think you said that was the last time you used a filter. Is a filter a regular part of your kit? Not anymore, it's not. I still carry a little bottle of iodine for when I know that the water is likely to be really bad, and I don't have time to boil water. Then, you know, within a few minutes, you can be drinking that water. It doesn't taste so nice and you shouldn't be drinking water with, that's been cleaned with iodine on a regular basis because it's not good for you. So I carry a very small bottle of that and I'll carry some Sterodent type Puritab type tablets again for emergencies. But normally I just boil the water and boil it for a good solid five minutes. And um, yeah, it's done. You're, you're as safe as you're going to get. And the reason you don't carry a filter is just space, just it's a waste of time? Space and weight, the amount of effort to use it. Uh, I did meet one guy who, he was riding a BMW R80GS and he had a, a Schrader pump. Have you come across these? Well, no, the other Schrader pumps I know of are for air. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he'd converted his water purifying pump to run off the engine. So all of the pumping was done by the engine of the bike. Oh, nice. That's a good way to do it. 
oh, well, yeah, he raved about this thing, but it was noisy and it was using up fuel. And I reckoned he was using more fuel than he would have done if he'd put the kettle on. That's a good way to do it. In all your travels, did you find you had trouble finding water or was water pretty easy to find? I mean, overall. Water was pretty easy to find. Um, Outback Australia was difficult, um, but most of the desert areas that I went through in Africa, it was relatively straightforward to find. There were village wells or village ponds, um, those sorts of things. Well, the last large volume of liquid that we tend to carry with us, of course, is fuel. What do you have for ideas for carrying extra fuel? Well, again, because I'm a cheapskate, I we'll have a look at how much I'm actually going to need the fuel for, how long I'm going to need it for. Now, I think that if a person has around 300 miles range before reserve, then they can pretty much go anywhere. Obviously, there are certain circumstances where you can't. Um, Plenty of people in North America and Australia will know that you can go an awfully long way um, before you can find fuel. So I'm talking, you know, in sort of not a sweeping statement, but I reckon for the average rider who's doing a longer distance journey, then about 300 miles range before reserve and and you can do an awful lot. Now for me, I always top up um, my 43 litre tank, so that's nine gallons, when I get to about half full and I see that there's an opportunity. But yeah, what about those occasions when you're off the more beaten track? Well, I think the first key is to work out what you're actually going to need. Now, If you're planning a longer distance journey, I think you need to have a look and see how far it's going to be between potential fuel fill-ups. And and we're talking about larger villages, larger towns, or the opportunity to duck onto a main road for a while where you're more likely to find fuel stations. Now, I work that out. For example, in Africa, uh, Michelin maps are absolutely brilliant the maps tell you which towns have fuel or are supposed to. And so we'll, I'll work out my distances with, with that sort of thing and I'll add 20% because sometimes you can roll into one of these towns and it might have two or three petrol stations, but um, none of them have got any fuel. But the other thing is to be working out what sort of terrain you're going to be riding on and how your bike is going to be behaving in those conditions. So, for example, if you're going to be riding in a lot of softer stuff, then take your bike out and do lots of test runs so you can see how your bike is how much fuel your bike is going to suck up when it's battling with those softer road conditions and when you're going to be riding in lower gears once you've worked out that then you can start looking at how much extra fuel you're likely to be needing for your off the beaten track um, journey so you've got the the choice of buying a large uh, fuel tank to fit your bike This is a great idea from my point of view because it's neat, it's tidy. Uh, You always got your your fuel under lock and key and, you know, you know more or less how far you can go with this. You've got less stuff hanging off your bike and with a larger fuel tank, again, it's this thing about balancing out the weight that you've got on the back end of your bike with all of your normal um, travel luggage. So that is one option. But one of the disadvantages, of course, is that these things aren't cheap. And if you're doing a really long journey, so for example, an overlanding journey, then you may want to look for alternatives. Now, I talked about packs and MSR and, and so on before. These guys do these tanks that can be used for fuel as well. And again, these can be strapped on pretty much anywhere that's logical on the bike. And some of them, I think they're around five litres, that sort of size, but um, you can get bigger ones. 
if you're a cheapskate and you're only going to be doing shorter distances, let's say you're crossing the Sahara and you've got enough fuel to ride two thirds of it, but you've got the remaining third and you need fuel to top up with that. Well, you've got two options with that from my point of view. One is that you carry, you buy yourself as you get towards that area, some um, basic plastic jerry cans and you strap those onto the bike and you use those to fill up and when you finish that long distance section then you just give them away to a local who has been helpful you know you get um, knackered to the edge of the desert and you're looking for somebody to sleep and one of the local blokes says to you oh yeah come with me i'll show you somewhere it's really nice and if it is really nice then say hey would you like these and he'll pour yes please thank you very much so give them away if you're really tight budget and um insurance companies will be screaming no but it works um a couple of um two liter soft drink bottles just for a very temporary basis and you know the first hundred miles or so then wallop that fuel straight into the tank and then get rid of those bottles and and that's the cheapest way to do it one thing that we've fitted burgett's bike out is um with something that we call pot racks these are made by a friend of ours john may and because we're both riding BMWs, Birgit has a 25-litre tank on her bike, which isn't enough for the really longer distances off the beaten track. So these pot racks are a couple of racks that sit over the cylinders on the BMW. And when we're going off the beaten track, then we'll buy a couple of small jerry cans, which will just be strapped onto those pot racks. Um, nice and secure, weight up front, down low, between the wheels, all of the things that are doing right and then we'll fill those into the petrol tank half and half, half and half, until they're empty. One other thing that more and more people are coming around, can I mention that? Yeah. People are using fuel bladders. Have you seen these? Yes, I've seen the fuel bladders. I think they're, they're great. It's a great idea because you can roll it up when you're not using it. I think that's a really good idea. I would rather use a fuel bladder, I think, than I would the equivalent for carrying water. Uh, for me, the problem with those and carrying water is that you can never really get them to dry out. And if you're traveling in hot countries, then you tend to get mildew and so on forming inside. And well, that in the long term isn't particularly healthy. But for carrying fuel, yeah, why not? I think the one thing that I would make sure I was doing was that I was carrying it outside of my luggage and not inside a couple of friends who've bought them and used them have been carrying them inside their panniers. And when they've opened up their panniers, their panniers have just been um, full of um, the smell of fumes. Mm, yeah, that's But that's that may good. just be the type that they were using. I think that you shouldn't, in my opinion, shouldn't, you shouldn't have any liquid in your place where you want to keep things dry. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of point in getting a pannier that's sealed to be watertight and then putting water on the inside of it, mm -hmm. in my opinion. But just for those who don't know what a fuel bladder is, can you explain that? Well, it's uh, it's basically like um, a, a petrol-resistant soft bag, which has a large neck to it so that it's very easy to fill up direct from the fuel pump. It's supposed to have um, a fuel and fume-proof lid on it. And you just strap this onto the back of your bike, onto the luggage or on top of one of your panniers. And um, then first chance you get, you pour it into your petrol tank. And then you can just roll it up and strap it on and hide it, you know, um, nice and small, tucked out of the way again. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a great system and it's something you just keep with you all the time. You can pull it out, fill it up and away you go. Yep. Well, that's some great information. Once again, Sam, thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. 
And of course, that was Sam Manicom. You can find out more about Sam and get the books that he writes by visiting his website, www.sam-manicom.com. Of course, you can just search for Sam Manicom. You can also get his books on Amazon, or I think just about anywhere else you buy books. And of course, that link will be in our show notes. Well, we had Jacques Lucasen on not too long ago. I'm sure you heard the episode. And I didn't miss the opportunity to talk to Jacques about what he did for fuel and water storage. And he had some interesting tips. I had uh, people have a look at my, my, my website and they see my fire blade and they see a chair can on top. That was given to me by a helpful Russian in 95 when I started traveling. And when I traveled there in 95, there were hardly any fuel stations. And uh, so I needed the spare spare fuel. Later, I had another one on top there as well. And I found out that on hard terrain, I can lower that tank in my top box. Now, when I built the R1, I have, on the back, I have seven uh, liters of uh, fuel in the gray tanks, but I have a nine liter one on top. And that nine liter one is a little bit less wide than the top box, so I can lower it in the top box. And when it's empty, it sits on top of the top box where where empty weight is at its best place. And when it's full, I can put it in the top box and forwards in the, the front of the top box. So uh, when I'm on very hard terrain, it doesn't affect my handling so much. Uh, the water I just have in local uh, Coke bottles. And uh, if I need more, I save one up and you can compress them. Uh, so that's very handy if, if, if they take up too much space. And uh, you can even use them as a pillow. Ah, nice. It sounds strange, but I had, I had, when I was in the Congo, I had to fly to the capital because I had a problem with my bike and I had to uh, get the part which was flown in from, uh, from there and had to extend all my uh, documents to be allowed to, to uh, ride in the Congo because the country is in civil war and a diamond area. And uh, I flew very light to the capital, but I took my tent with me and I camped over there in the capital. But I didn't have a pillow with me, so I start using my drink bottle for that. And if you um, lower a little bit the air, uh, you can make a little, little dent in it and that's how you can sleep on it. Sounds strange, but it works. <laughs> Another like good that. thing, Another good thing to use the drink bottle is uh, for is if it's almost empty, you can put it under the side stand if you're in the really loose sand. Wow, another great tip. It's and that's you're just talking about a, a Coke bottle or like a pop bottle, the two liter pop bottle. Yes, yes. It's amazing how durable those things are. I often yes. wonder because some of the containers you buy with food in it, they leak. You can't get them to seal, but you just go buy that pop bottle, and they're so yes. durable they can skid down the road, and they're still good. Yeah, yeah, you can use it for almost anything. And in the, in the Sahara and so, they are just great because you can you can adjust the air in there. And in the snow it works too. You can adjust the air and the amount of air. If it's really, really loose sand, you let leave more air in. And if it's for something harder, you don't want to have too much air and otherwise uh, the, the bike will be too straight up. 
And of course, that was Jacques Lucanson, who you know is riding his Yamaha R1 around the world. And I'll tell you, the best thing I get from what Jacques just said was using that bottle as a pad for your side stand, because that's amazing. I know my bike has a tiny little pad on it. You put it down and it falls over. So instead of going through all the work of welding a piece on, I'm just going to use a pop bottle. Stick around. We got a lot more coming up next. Well, if you're in the market for a new jacket or a pair of pants, or maybe you want to try a one-piece riding suit, I encourage you to drop by Aerostitch and check out their offerings. Absolutely great gear with an amazing reputation. A lot of the the riders that have been around a long time riding the world, like Greg Fraser, for instance, ride with Aerostitch gear www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. Of course, that forward slash ARR is important because it lets them know you're coming from Adventure Rider Radio. But for you, what it's going to do is it's going to get you 10% off your first order or if you're a returning customer, free shipping on your next order. So drop by their website. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Aerostitch is known for top quality, been in business over 33 years. You can't go wrong. www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. Graham Field is a well-known motorcycle travel book author, presenter, and world traveler with a lifetime of motorcycle riding experience. I spoke with Graham from his home in Bulgaria. So to talk about liquid storage for adventure motorcycling, no better to speak to than a person who has actually been on a long trip and tried things because that's when everything really shines or dies is when you you figure, okay, this is going to work great. You put it on your motorcycle and then you go out for a while and you realize this didn't work. So I decided to get hold of Graham Field. Graham, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hi, Jim. Well, let's start off. I mean, really what we're talking about here is we're talking about oil, fuel, and water. And oil is is probably the least concern because it's the smallest thing you have to carry. What have you tried for carrying oil? Uh, I find it's best in the engine, (laughs) which is why the last KLR is dead. That doesn't always work for you, though, does it? No, no. (laughs) It decided to relocate to the back wheel (laughs) and the engine seized. uh, really, the the thing is, when you, particularly if you're going sort of uh, for me when I'm going east, and once I get sort of past Eastern Europe, if if I started with a semi synthetic, it's so hard to to continue to find that it's nearly all mineral oil, and for all the research you do about don't mix them or or whatever you're supposed to do, ultimately I just figure any oil is better than no oil, <laughs> as I've found to my cost, and. Uh, the KLR uses some. It used to use quite a bit, and I suppose it when it when it got really bad at the end of Russia, going to Vladivostok, I was carrying a four litre um, like US gallon of, of oil because every time I stopped for fuel, I was having to pour oil in. But under usual circumstances, and I suppose I'm probably a little bit against my usual ethos, is I did have a little Touratech. Um, two-litre oil thingy that's strapped on the side of a pannier, which is so easily accessible. And just and, and it comes with a little funnel if you don't if you remember to put it back and don't lose it somewhere, which I did. But um, and, and I, it's for the oil, which, as you say, generally speaking, is the smallest capacity of liquid you need to take. Something that straps on the panniers for me is, is most of the time generally been adequate. When you're doing this, are, are you conscious about where you're placing your weight? I mean, do you really think about it? I mean, four liters of oil doesn't weigh a lot, but it, it does, everything does add up. Are you thinking about trying to get it as low as possible? 
Um, yes, and like my biggest bonus on weight distribution is that I have this aluminium tube or aluminium tube, as you like to say, at the front of my motorcycle on the bash plate, and that's where I put all my tools. And so that big heavy weight is right at the front and right down low, and because of that, I can justify a bit more sort of, of weight on the back. I mean, I, I have a top box, which because I, because I think we've discussed this before, because I travel solo, I like everything to be lockable. Dry bags are great, but there's no real security in them. So I tend to use a top box, which I can get all my camping stuff in. So the thing that is right at the back and the heaviest has the uh, as the as the lightest stuff in it and so the panniers which are quite low down i do strap in an oil uh, an oil thing on the back i don't think it's going to make a huge amount of difference so do you think that is like the the ultimate solution for you that you found or have you tried any others uh no i mean again with oil that's probably the least of the problems when it comes to carrying fluid it works fine for me two liters is it is it really a hell of a lot you know i mean yeah you, you've uh, I mean, in my case, a KLR, the capacity is 2.4. You could probably do an oil change without the filter and two litres will bring it back up to level. So that's, I, I think that's more than adequate. Do you carry a filter with you as well? You know, I bought one of these um, stainless steel reusable filters mm. and you supposedly just wash them out in gasoline. I I, I don't know how good they are, really. I, I'd rather have a paper filter. They take up very little space. They don't carry a lot of weight. And unless they get soaked because your panniers have leaked, I would rather set off with two two paper filters, which if you use them every other oil change, is good for 12,000 12, miles. I mean, so, uh, so I prefer the paper filters. I've got a stainless steel like mesh one, but uh, I've got no reason not to like it, but I just can't imagine it's as good as a paper one. Water is a huge one because obviously we need a lot of water, uh, especially when you're camping. If you're not planning on going into a town, what's your solutions for water? It is, I think, probably the single biggest thing. And we've touched on this subject when we've done the raw show as well. And it's it, never carry enough water. Carrying water makes you so liberated because if you choose to spontaneously stop somewhere because you've seen the ideal place to camp, wild camp. You can do without food. You don't need an evening meal. You don't need to have uh, breakfast in the morning. But if you haven't got water, you've really shot yourself in the foot because you really need to have that. So having a, you know, a, a, a five liter or, or more bottle of water dangling off the back of the panniers is not necessarily a bad idea. Having said that, that's the theory. It's very hard to carry that. And what I found, I've, I've usually got water on me, but a second I travel with someone, the things that I would normally be very good at keeping track of, you suddenly lose because you've got company and you assume that someone else, oh, well, they had water, so I'll be all right. And I found myself in a position, I can't remember where it was, but in a, in a hot country where it's like, well, I thought you had water. I thought you had the water and neither of us have got any water. What a ridiculous situation to get in. That would never happen if you were on your own. And if it was, you've only got yourself to blame. But when someone is assuming someone else has supplies and they haven't because they've depleted or, or they've or whatever, that's a, a dangerous situation. But the water that I always carry, and this has worked brilliantly for me. I was in a thrift store and they have these uh, uh water bottles for hikers and so it's got a strap that you put over your neck over your shoulder and it just sits by your side and it's a little uh, or it carries about two liters and it's uh, insulated just to, to keep the heat off 
And this works great for me because it doesn't get the heat of the engine or the heat of the road or the heat of the sun. And so you're not burning your lips on the water when you do stop to drink it. And it's uh, and also, I, although I can't get it back on while I'm riding, I can unclip. I have it strapped, the strap that normally goes over your shoulder. I have on the, the rails that the pillion would hold. So I can unstrap it and I can squeeze it and squirt it down my mouth and rehydrate while I, I ride. And also when I go and, and stop at a shop and I get chilled water and put it in there, it does keep it a little bit cooler. It's only two liters, it's not enough, but it, it is a wonderful thing to have and it's easily accessible. It just hangs off the side of the bike and without, because everything I do is on a budget, it's like, you know, I can't afford the jackets with the built-in camelbacks or whatever. And I don't, I don't have any of that. So everything is very much about budget. And having a water bottle on the panniers is fine, but they fall off. You're unaware of it. But having this one that's strapped on is is just ideal, and uh, it works really well. The uh, the ones that strap on your back, though, they're they're fairly inexpensive now. You can get um, you know two three liters, I think even more than that, to go onto your back. And there's downsides and, and upsides to it. But I use one that I think mine is is two liters is what I have on my back. It can be kind of heavy, you know, when it's when it's full. But the nice thing is you've always got it. You can drink while you go. You don't have to wait. You mentioned two liters is not enough. What do you do when you need more? Um, <laughs> go thirsty. No, I, I mean I. <laughs> I, I, I think ideally, if I try to have something else strapped on the panniers, on the top of the panniers, and if you actually loop the bungee route cord around the neck of the of the bottle, so you've just got sort of a complete loop around it, it stops it sliding out. All the bungees in the world sometimes on the bumpy road doesn't stop them sliding out, but uh, the bungee cord looped right around and sort of twisted, so you've got a, how would you describe it, like a little a tiny little hangman's noose, I suppose, around the top of the bottle. Generally, whether it's because, and another thing that's really annoying is if you've bought beer and you're heading off to your campsite and then when you get there, you realize it's gone. Uh, but the, the little loop around the neck works really well to, to stop them falling off. So what I would do, let's say I'll, I've, I'm in a parched place, my water's depleted, I buy five liters, I top up my two liter thing, I drink as much as I can, I crush the bottle so it's no longer round or square so that then it's not like as likely to slide off. And what's left is strapped under a pannier or under a bungee on on the pannier lid do you have a lot of hook spots on your panniers and on your bike that you can easily strap stuff on yeah i got the four little bridges i suppose you'd call them on top of the the pannier lid so uh they and and with bungee cords i mean it's handy for strapping waterproofs or um or maybe some sandals or th- probably things that are not going to be the end of the world if you lose. One of the things I remember the most about Jupiter's travels was how he lost his sheepskin riding jacket because it was strapped on the back. And I still wish Ted had turned around to try and find it. <laughs> <laughs> We've all lost things off the back. So I think if anything is strapped behind you, it needs to be something that isn't too important. <laughs> Let's talk about fuel now. You're riding a, a KLR, I think, most of the time. KLR has a great fuel tank. I think it's 23 liters, something like that. You've got a really good capacity on that. But what are you doing for extra fuel, or do you ever have to carry extra fuel with it? I, I haven't, but I've got a little secret weapon because because I ride a European model KLR, they have a different subframe to the US model. So if you get an IMS tank, you have to do a few alterations to it to get it to fit. You have to do cut up the seat a little bit and make a few alterations so that an IMS tank fits, or at least the seat fits once the IMS tank is on. And 
The IMS tank only has a, a petcock or a fuel tap on the left-hand side. And because of the tunnel in it, I have got this fuel that stays on the right-hand side of the tank and never gets used. So when I've, I've got a ridiculously small reserve. When I go on reserve, I've got about 10 miles, which is really scary. Oh, wow. But what I can do is lay the bike right the way over and I can get that redundant fuel off the right-hand side of the bike. And that's my emergency fuel mm. supply. And right. uh, you can do that with us with the the uh, North American version as well with the stock tank because I what, what does yours come with stock with the size of the tank? Oh, the European ones are ridiculous. They have this tiny tank. You've got less than a hundred mile range on it. Oh, wow. it's crazy. You've got these these flares, these plastic flared bits, which on the US spec tanks have got a little grill on it. I think it's for the air to come through and cool and and, and cool the engine. Uh, and same on on the the tengas, and they and they come through, and and you've got a like a five gallon tank. But the stock European tank on a uh, on a KLR is a ridiculously tiny capacity, with which is fine if you're just travelling around Europe because there's a village every twenty miles and a and a fuel station. But if you want to do any distance, the first thing you've got to do is change it. So yeah, that's uh, really strange because the the North American one coming with that great big tank that is one of the the bonuses right out of the box for the klr is that great big tank yeah i mean there was there was a, a an instance uh, i was in kazakhstan and i was taking this just dirt road well the only road but it happened to be dirt i'd got a little bit lost and i was not going to make it to the next town i was going to run out of fuel and i stopped it i needed water stopped this place to get some water and sort of said where's the fuel station it's like well either back 200 kilometers where you came from or forward 300 kilometers where you're going to. I said, well, I haven't got, If I, even if I went back 200 kilometers and filled up again, I still wouldn't make it the 500 kilometers to the next place or whatever the distances were, you know? And I just thought, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Is Kazakhstan beat me? Am I, if I simply, it's not going to make it. And so I, I drank my water and I sat in the shade and I sulked for a little while. And I thought, well, sorry, all I can do is keep going the direction I'm doing. And, if I run out of fuel, I'm just going to have to take off my tank and hitchhike with it. That's all I can do. So I'm riding north, and it's just there's just step, just just grassy step. There's nothing. There's no trees. There's no shade. There's no buildings. There's no sign of human life. And out of the heat haze was something that looked like a fuel station, this little oasis. And I thought, I just want it to be a fuel station. It's not a fuel station. It's just I want it so bad. I'm seeing it. And as I got closer, it was, and it was sparkling in the in the in the sun. I thought that's just it's so brand spanking. <laughs> Clearly, it, even if it is, it's not going to be. It's not going to be used. It's not going to be open. And as I got there, closer and closer, it was brand new, brand new concrete, brand new pumps, brand new canopy. And and the people who had told me obviously didn't even know this petrol station was there or exist. They lived in their little town. And I was just, I was so happy to see them. They didn't seem that happy to see me, but I was so happy <laughs> to see them. So <laughs> you just saved. Saved, I don't know anything. I don't know what you've saved, you know, but I, I was facing tragic consequences. And, uh, yeah, it was a wonderful moment. But, <laughs> but so despite all of that, despite going all the way through, across the Trans-Siberian Highway, through Mongolia and Kazakhstan and, uh, and, and the places that I've been to, I've never, when I've been properly on the road, run out of fuel. I've had to tilt it sometime, but I've never just run completely dry. But I was in the southeast of England, which is a very high-density population, and I'd gone to do a talk for this bike club. And uh, amongst the subjects I cover, one of them was about about fuel and, uh, and never missing an opportunity, even if you only topped up 
a hundred miles ago and you know you've got a 300 mile range it might be a pain in the ass because you've only been on the road for an hour and a half but take that opportunity because even if you know that there's a fuel station another hour down the road you don't know that that fuel station is going to be open and have fuel it's very important to take the opportunity when it arises and that was the point i was making and i left the talk and ran out of petrol (laughs) (laughs) oh that's priceless Good I've advice. done it. I did it time and time again. It's, it's, it's a philosophy in life, not just fuel, but taking the opportunity when it occurs. And, and it can be frustrating because you're destination driven or you're trying to beat the light or the rain clouds or whatever. And, and like you say, you can turn. And I, I take great pride in the fact that when I did bother to force myself to stop to either get supplies or fuel or whatever it was, and I continue on, it's like, Bloody hell, there's nothing out here at all, is there? Well, I actually lived by my philosophy and actually benefited from it. So if you can apply that, it it rewards itself again and again and again. And of course, that was Graham Field from his home in Bulgaria. You can find out more about Graham, his exploits, and you can also buy his books from his website, grahamfield.co.uk. Puget Sound Safety Off-Road provides world-class motorcycle training to new and avid motorcyclists. They've been doing it since 1996. Now, you know PSSOR if you've been listening to the show because you hear Brett Tax on here doing our rider skills. Why do we have Brett on here? Because he is a pro. And that's certainly the product that they put out at PSSOR. They've got a couple of different things, uh, well, probably a bunch of different things you'd be interested in, but a couple of specific for us adventure motorcyclists. They've got the ADV training camps and the ADV training exhibitions and tours. Now, they're both slightly different, but they're what you need as an adventure motorcyclist because the thing is, you want to get out there and you want to get some additional training. doesn't matter what your skill level is. You can always learn more. And I always say that's the thing that I love about motorcycling. The adventure training camps run May, June, and July, and um, the training expedition tours are July and August. Really, I think the difference is the training camps, you sort of stay in one spot and you learn your skills. The expeditions, uh, expedition slash tour they have on their website uh, that run in July and August. They're more of you're learning while you're riding. So both of them, awesome ways to learn. And you can learn from Brett or people that work with Brett um, at that skill level. PSSOR.com. And of course, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. There's a number of solutions, as you can tell from what you've heard so far. Now, one of the ones that that comes to mind for me, because I have them, is the AeroStitch tank bags. That's a sort of an adjustable, all you all round use set of tank bags that are really meant for anything. But I think what Andy said when they originally designed them, they were actually designed to hold fuel cans. However, never really sold that way. So you can slide, uh, I think, a, a gallon and a half jug into each side. You can put the two liter pop bottles on them. But the important thing with this is 
is that it, it keeps the weight forward. And, and I, I really like them. I've used them for a lot of different things, including water and bringing that weight to the front of the bike makes a big difference. Another neat product that I came across here when I asked around is from one of our advertisers, Best Rest. And I contacted uh, David at Best Rest and he told me about the peg packer that he has. Now the peg packer takes your rear foot pegs or your passenger foot pegs and turns them into a rack to hold a jug of fluid, whatever. If you want to carry a one or two gallon jug of fuel or water, or maybe fuel on one side and water on the other side, it's kind of neat. He was on a a trip to Alaska and he didn't have enough fuel in his tank to get from uh, Wiseman to to Prudhoe Bay. So he had to strap on a one gallon fuel can on the back of the bike. And when he got home, he thought, well, there's got to be a better solution and came up with this peg packer thing. So that's kind of cool. They also sell another one called the oil jug, which is another way to to carry oil on your bike. There's one called the fuel friend as well that I found on the internet looked very cool. So I'd look at that one. One thing I was going to mention about the bladders, the fuel bladders, if you're going to look at a fuel bladder, even a water bladder for that matter, you want to make sure there's, there's a lot of tie downs on it. So get one that has a bunch of loops fastened to it or at least plan on putting it inside a sack with a bunch of loops on it that can be easily fastened to the bike. Because as Graham Field pointed out, if you try and tie a bottle to a motorcycle, well, it just doesn't work very well. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Corey Hansen from Camel ADV Products in Calgary, Canada. Now, Corey makes tanks, auxiliary fuel tanks, that bolt to your motorcycle and are molded to fit between the motorcycle and the carrier racks for your rear panniers. Very sweet setup. So if you're looking to add some range to your motorcycle and not replace your stock tank, you want to add something to it, spread the weight out a little bit, it could work well for a lot of bikes. So here's Corey Hansen from Camel ADV Products in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Corey, good to have you on. Thank you for having me. So, Corey, what is a Camel ADV product? Uh, Camel ADV is uh, is the business that I started. We make the Camel tank, auxiliary fuel tanks. Um, currently, we have them for the uh, F800s, KTM 1190s. Uh, CRF 250Ls, just getting ready to launch the Yamaha WR250R. I have one coming out for the new Africa Twin and uh, working on one for the BMW 1200 Water Boxer. What made you decide to get into making auxiliary fuel tanks for motorcycles to begin with? Uh, it was absolutely uh, just um, a, a, something that popped into my head as I was I was riding along on my bike uh, in from about 2001 till 2009, I was um, I was employed in the construction industry and and uh, was self-employed and run off my feet busy. And there's just never an opportunity that you would ever have a summer off. And uh, I had a friend that had watched Long Way Round, and he kept bugging me. He kept saying, "Oh man, we got to do something like that." I'm like, oh, what are you What are you talking about? Like, that's rich sponsored people do that. That's not something normal people do. And I didn't have a bike at the time. I, I hadn't ridden in 10 years. I had, I knew nothing of adventure riding whatsoever. And the, the recession rolls around. So, uh, totally killed the construction industry in Calgary and I had, I had no work. So after applying for uh, a few jobs here and there and uh, having the interviews not go well, uh, I just kind of said the hell with it one day. And I, I walked out of a bad interview and I, I called up Blackfoot Motorsports in Calgary and, and, uh, put a deposit on a, an F800 GS, which was brand new at the time. And then I got off the phone with them and I called my buddy Tim and I said, hey, you know that, that trip you've been bugging me about? Let's do it. So two months later, we were, uh, we were on the road on the way to Vancouver and we, we basically did long way around backwards. And uh, he was riding uh, an 07 or 1200 GSA. So 30, I think they're 32 liter tanks. 
and I was on the uh, the F800 with a 16 liter tank, and it irritated me to no end to be the guy that was always out of gas on this trip <laughs> with the, the 16 liters on the uh, on the F800. And did you not try a, and carry an auxiliary tank with you at that time? I, I absolutely did. I had a uh, I had a, a two gallon jerry can with me. So with the the mileage on the F800 is, is better than the 1200. So with the additional uh, eight liters, uh, our range was about the same. Uh, but if you're doing an occasional trip using a fuel bladder or a jerry can, uh, is, is absolutely fine. If you're doing a longer trip and you're, you're putting on four or 500 kilometer days regularly, when you, you're riding along, you're low on fuel. So you stop, you unstrap the can, you take the cap off, you put the spout on, you tighten it back up, you open the vent, you pour it in, you spill, you know, a bunch of it everywhere. You, you know, take it all all down, put the spout back in, strap it all down. Then you get to the gas station and you take it off and you take this, the cap off and you fill it and you put it back on. You only do that, you know, so many times before you start to get really annoyed with the process. And, uh, it, it, so it, as you're riding along, uh, on, on a big trip, you have these large sections of time where your mind just kind of wanders. And, uh, I started, started thinking about different options for the F800 and, uh, what, what I could do for fuel and where it would go. And uh, between that and then we, we got back from the trip and going on Adventure Rider, uh, the, the parallel universe forum on Adventure Rider, um, you know, and there was, I realized that there was a bunch of people that were looking for something similar. And I actually approached a, a bunch of manufacturers of gas tanks and said, hey, guys, you know, there's, there's a bunch of us, there's dozens and dozens of us that are, uh, that are interested in a, in a tank like this. And everybody said, yeah, we have no interest in doing it. Uh, and about the same time, I was reading a book called The 4-Hour Workweek uh, by Timothy Ferris. And it's just about uh, building a business and subcontracting out the things that you're, you're not able to do. And uh, my plan was to have a, a mail order business so that I could, uh, I could have a product that I could ship and it could go out from a fulfillment center and I could continue traveling because this, this motorcycle trip that we were on has, was the, the, best, you know, the best four months of my life. And it was something that I wanted to keep doing. So we got back and, and um, was trying to find someone to, to make this tank, realize that nobody was, was interested in doing it. And the idea just kind of clicked in my head, well, I can make it. I have the idea and I'm sure that I can find the right people to help me design it and the right people to make all the individual bits and pieces and, you know, let's do it. So that's pretty much how it came to be. It took about three years of work in the garage and the shop and a lot of obstacles and the project sitting on the shelf for months on end and, and uh, then, you know, realizing what the solution was for this obstacle or that one. And, and uh, yeah, started shipping them in 2013. So It's a recession. You're out of work. You're, you're not doing well with finding a job. And then you decide to go buy a bike and go for a ride. You are definitely an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Well, I, yeah, that was the, that was kind of the big thing being in, in Calgary. The, the market here is, is boom or bust. And when it's, when it's booming, if you have a, you know, if you have a business that's in one of the, the booming industries, you don't have time to do anything. And I accumulated a bunch of toys, quads and, and a travel trailer and, um, I had a couple of vehicles and things like that. And so there, there, to be able to take the summer off was just un, unheard of for me for, you know, for a decade. And then this opportunity came up and I thought, well, I'm just going to sit here all summer and be miserable and not have any work. So I sold everything except for my house. I kind of 
kept the house with my dog and that was about it. I uh, rented out the house and, and uh, yeah, off we went. Anyone who has an F800 GS, unless they bought the adventure version, knows that they're stuck with the, the 16 liter tank and probably can relate to this immediately. But, but same as a WR250, right? Or uh, I believe you do the, the CRF uh, 250L as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So any one of those, I mean, you know that that's sort of the limitation. I mean, I think that's one of those things that really make the KLR attractive right off the bat is that big gas tank. So all of a sudden you buy this bike that you wanted for other reasons and you find that you're limited as far as range. Of course, you can always carry external tanks, but there's something sweet about a built-in tank. So describe your built-in tank that you're making. Uh, the tank is side mounted. Uh, it is roto molded XLPE, which is cross link polyethylene. It's a very strong material. And uh, on on the F800, it's going to go on the right side, kind of opposite the exhaust. There's a nice big spot between the the rear tire and the inside of the pannier rack that's just was just begging for something to go in there. And uh, so it's it's nice and out of the way. And you're not using up space on the top of your cargo rack. So, uh, yeah, it goes, it goes in there in that dead space. And we plumb it into the main tank through the, the vent barb on the main tank. Uh, so as the fuel gets sucked out of the main tank, it creates vacuum and pulls fuel from the camel tank. So the camel tank actually empties first into the main tank. So your gas gauge will read full longer. And then as you get to... And when the gas gauge starts moving, you know that the camel tank is empty, and now you're you're into the main tank, so your uh, your distance empty, and your your fuel gauge is working as it normally does. See, this is very sweet because it eliminates several problems that you just described right there. Like one, when you have the auxiliary tank, if you just make one and stick it on, you've got to transfer the fuel from your tank to your main tank. You're saying it draws out the camel tank first. If it didn't, you'd be stuck with all this weight at the back that you'd rather not have in some cases, depending on where your tank is. So it's, it's a pretty sweet setup. You've basically made a block that's sort of molded in, right? It fits all the crevices on the bike and fastens in without being intrusive for the rest of the bike. Yeah, absolutely. That was the biggest thing uh, when I was designing it, that I, I wanted it to look like it fit the bike from the factory. Um, and especially with the pannier racks where it's it's tucked in and we're working around some of the, um, you know, some of the real popular pannier racks. Uh, it's actually a bit of a, it's it's kind of difficult for me to, to do advertising sometimes because depending on the pannier rack and depending on the setup of the bike, it's really difficult to see it, uh, especially with it being black. So it just, uh, just blends in. So that was, uh, yeah, that was a major, uh, major design consideration when we were doing it, that it's maximized the space that was there and uh, looked like it was supposed to be there. How does it work? How do you get the fuel to go out of the tank, into the main tank, and how do you get it to drain first? With the fuel-injected bikes, the, the tanks are sealed with the exception of the vent on the top. So there's enough suction and vacuum created with the, the high-pressure fuel pump. And when it's pulling it out and, and drawing it into the fuel rail, uh, you're creating vacuum. And normally, uh, when that fuel level drops, you're, you're replacing that with air. So we've got um, a hose that goes from the vent barb on the main tank, and it plugs into the bottom of the camel tank. So instead of sucking air into the main tank, it's sucking the fuel out of the camel tank. And then there's the vent on the camel tank that allows air into the camel tank once it's empty then it just becomes part of the venting system. So if you're running a bike that still has a charcoal canister, um, you actually can plug the, the camel tank into the charcoal canister and you're still, uh, you know, you're still legal for emissions as well. So it's non-intrusive. You're, you're just plugging it in line for, with the plumbing that's already there. 
Yeah, exactly. Some of the bikes, there's, there's, um, you know, some little tricks and things that you need to do to get them to transfer properly, but it's, it's very straightforward, um, and, and very reliable means of, of getting the fuel to transfer. Now, once you put this tank on, do you have to fill it up or can you run with it empty or can you put it half full or what's the deal with it? Uh, you can run it empty if you're just bombing around town and you don't want the extra weights, uh, then yeah, you could just leave it empty. Like I said, it's just, uh, ends up being part of your, your venting system on the bike. Uh, if you are going to fill up just one tank, then you just continue to fill the main tank and leave the camel tank empty. And, um, how many liters are in the tanks and the extra tanks? Are they all roughly the same size? Uh, the BMW F800 is seven liters and the KTM, uh, 1190 is six liters, WR is six liters, CRF250L is six as well. So yeah, between the, between six and seven, depending on the bike. Very nice. Now you're making these in Canada and you're shipping them around the world. They are all over, all over the world. Yeah. We're shipping them directly, uh, from Calgary for distribution in North America. And then we've got, uh, distributors in Australia and Thailand, uh, South Africa, Chile, uh, some in the UK. So yeah, we're, we're getting out there. Corey, thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Corey Hansen, the founder of Camel ADV Products in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. You can find out more about him and what he's doing by visiting www.camel-adv.com. And of course, that link is in our show notes. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles, tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Green Chili Adventure Gear is also the exclusive USA distributor for Outback Motor Tech, a Canadian company that specializes in high-quality protection for motorcycles. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com, greenchiliadv.com. up another episode of adventure rider radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin and of course to you the listener don't forget to drop by the website to see the show notes for this episode and don't forget all our episodes are downloadable for free just drop by and enjoy i'm jim martin this is adventure rider radio now it's time to get out there and ride your bike hey, hey wait before you go you want to do adventure rider radio a favor well, there's two things you can do, actually. One, you can drop by the website, click on the donate button, and send in a donation. Anything $10 or more is going to get you a gift sent back at you, our way of saying thank you. And the other thing you can do is we're feeling a little insecure right now. Why don't you drop by our Facebook page and like our page? 
we like that. See you next week. Ride safe. I'm Elizabeth Martin. I'm Brody Barker. I'm Tanya Martin. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Radio.